You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Peace and blessings to all our listeners. Good morning on this near Christmas Sunday morning. Welcome to the Voice of Islam. It is Sunday, the 18th of December. The time now is 10.06. Welcome to the Weekend World Show with us and Ahmadi, listening to Voice of Islam on DAB radio, mobile and online 24 hours a day. Broadcasting live from the Bethel Fatu Mosque in Morden, the Weekend World Show is a current affair show with the week's news, views and reviews from a faith and non-faith perspective, promoting the message of peace and unity, discussing religion, politics, sports and topics of faith and enlightenment. A message of Islam for the West. Join us and share your views or stories by phoning us on 0208-687-7878. You can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. The views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. And joining me as usual is my co-host, Willie Damat, the chief librarian here at the Bethel Fatou Mosque, the largest mosque in Europe. Assalamu alaikum, Willie. How are you? Well, it's now a bit under the weather, you know. I've uh, been suffering from flu. Yes, I can hear that in your voice. Uh, mm. Thank you very much for uh, making the effort and joining no, us. I couldn't uh, miss this. No, 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 no absolutely. No. We've got the World yeah. Cup final coming up, so mm. we'll be discussing plenty of that. Yeah. I mm. know that you weren't going to let go of that. And we've also no. got Christmas coming up as well. So mm. we're going to have a look at different aspects of Christmas. Uh, there's a Jewish Hanukkah as well taking place, and there's... Uh, Many, uh, you know, we were discussing last show that uh, mm. Christianity is on the decline. Yeah. And Christmas has become more of a, uh, a festival rather than a religious festival. Mm. So we're going to have a look at you know, how that has sort of changed over time. So we'll be joined mm-hmm. by various guests. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I like something Jesse Jackson, you know, the, the politician in oh, America, a yeah. very good spokesman, a very good orator. Hmm. He said that your children need your presence more than your presence. This is right. so I think profound, yeah. I think it's very profound. Hmm. Uh, hmm. I, I, I really like that. And hmm. uh, Christmas to me has become uh, very commercial, as uh, Richard Madeley was trying to argue with. Uh, uh, Mick Lynch. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mick Lynch was saying, well, you know, in my house, uh, Christmas starts on Christmas Eve. Mm. And uh, Richard Mealy was arguing, well, commercial Christian- Christmas starts at the end of November. Yeah. So it, it appears that commercial Christianity has become, Christmas has become more important mm. than mm. the spiritual side of things. But yeah. something, what, uh, your views on that? No, no, I, I, I think on, on Jesse Jackson's uh, comment, I think it's very important. Uh, it's a sign of the times that uh, people are uh, too immersed in um, in uh, uh, what is it uh, financial pursuits mm. um, and career uh, advancement rather than uh, looking out their family and paying uh, great attention to the needs of uh, their loved ones. Yeah. Um, so to think that uh, you can uh, discharge your duties to your family and your children by giving them presents on certain occasions like birthdays. Fob, fob them off with presents. Yeah. Sort of is, uh, attitude, yeah. Is not, is not sufficient. Yeah. Although having said that, I know the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that give give gifts because exchanging gifts in, increases 
um, increases love between you mm. or affection between you. Uh-huh. But uh, it's not just gifts. It's not just gifts. It has uh, to be. And, and I think uh, Jesse Jackson's word, presence, mm. outweighs presence, mm. you know, yeah. is what yeah. he's, he's yeah. saying. And I think that's very profound. Yes. And it has to be with meaning. I mean, this yeah. is it. So uh, mm. it's an expression of, uh, of your love and your... Uh, uh, concern and you know, atten- the, atten- the attention that you want to give uh, to your loved ones. Mm. So mm. it has to be sincere, and it's not sincere if uh, throughout the year you're neglecting, neglecting everyone, and uh, then uh, come Christmas or birthdays or special occasions, you suddenly find uh, find that uh, your conscience is pricked and you uh, start giving presents. Yeah, the Holy Prophet also said that uh, you know keep away from innovation. And, mm. and to me, Christmas has become uh, a reflection of innovations rather than the actual purpose of it, the spiritual side of it, which is what Christmas was initially intended for. And mm. over the years, they've added on so much, you know, Christmas trees, presents, mm. Father Christmas, mm. all of these things have nothing to do with, no. with Jesus or anything in the no. Bible. Uh, but and I think uh, it's all a part of this commercialization of Christmas that you are... Yeah. You bemoaning, and I think it's <laughs> right to be bemoaning because I, uh, if it is a religious festival, then the religious um, element or component to it should mm. not be submerged as badly as it is. Yeah. Except that I, I know that um, there is um, a lot of there are a lot of people who do go to church on that particular day. Indeed, yes, indeed, uh, on, absolutely. Uh, and uh, there is an increase in um, charitable um, giving as well. Mm. You have these adverts on uh, on TV because yes. it is at this time that um, people's uh, conscience uh, is stirred. Yes, indeed. And, uh, I do watch uh, yeah. the films about Jesus and uh, oh, do the you? various biblical oh, films right. on TV. So you the, must have a lot of time. Uh, well, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's off at Christmas. <laughs> if there's yeah. one one good thing about Christmas is the time off you can have with your family. Which mm. I really enjoy. Yeah. Anyway, we'll, leave, uh, mm. we'll discuss more, more on this yeah. and, and other aspects of Christmas as well uh, with the various guests. So who who have we got? Well, joining us to start the conversations will be Azar in our news review, uh, and uh, he'll be sharing his thoughts and views on some of the week's important stories, which will be followed by discussing the Jewish festival of Hanukkah, uh, the festival of light with uh, Rabbi uh, Jeff Berger. Mm. Is it Berger or Berger? Berger. Berger. Berger, yeah, Jeff Berger. Oh, yes, yes. uh, And uh, after the 11 o'clock news? Uh, well, we we were just discussing about uh, Christmas, uh, so the question we want to ask is, Christmas still uh, a festival anymore? Uh, joining us for that discussion is a uh, Christian convert to Islam and now an imam in Ireland, Ibrahim Noonan, uh, and he will give us an insight into how Christmas has evolved over the years and, uh, well, does Jesus still play a central part uh, to their celebrations. Yeah, well, couldn't get a better person, I think, no. having converted from Christianity yeah. to yeah. Islam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, sports, uh, I think we've got Yusuf Walker, haven't we? Yes, uh, World Cup final will be played uh, this afternoon between Argentina and France, uh, or some say between Messi and Mbappe. Mm. Uh, so oh. joining us uh, with uh, their assessment of the tournament will be Yusuf Walker. Who is based in the Middle East? Um, uh, who attended several, ma- uh, several match- he did, matches? Yeah. If you get time, we might even talk about the England-Pakistan cricket test series going on. Mm. England making a good recovery from a uh, yes, possible, I think yeah, yeah. two hundred fifty-eight for five. That's right. Thanks mm. to uh, 
Anyway, that's great, Willie. Inshallah, interesting show in the store for all our listeners. Anyone eager to comment or share their views can do so by phoning 0208-687-7878 or tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. Voice of Islam can be listened to on DAB radio, on your mobile, or live stream it on voiceofislam.co.uk forward slash live. This is the Weekend World Show with Arsene Amadi. The views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests. Right, Raleed, the uh, first mm. segment of the show is the news review. Weekend World. Look at this week's news, views, and reviews. Right, Raleed, the first mm. item on the news from the Associated Press, 2022 likely deadliest for Palestinians in the West Bank. Yes, so the UN Middle East Envoy said uh, 2022 is on course to be the deadliest year for the Palestinians in the West Bank since the UN started tracking fatalities in 2005 and he called for immediate action to calm an explosive situation and move uh, toward renewing Israeli-Palestinian negotiations. Yes, uh, Tor Wenesland told the UN Security Council that mounting hopelessness, anger and tension have once again erupted into deadly cycle of violence that is increasingly difficult to contain and too many people overwhelmingly Palestinian have been killed and injured. In a grim assessment, the special coordinator for the Middle East peace process said the downward spiral in the West Bank and current volatile situation stem from decades of violence that has taken a toll on Israelis and Palestinians, the prolonged absence of negotiations and the failure to resolve key issues fueling the Israeli Palestinian conflict. Yes, let's listen to a short clip. Israeli forces have killed a 22-year-old Palestinian man in occupied West Bank. Witnesses say he was involved in a car accident with an Israeli settler before being apprehended, then shot at close range. Israeli police say the man stabbed a soldier while trying to steal his gun. After being wrestled to the ground, he was shot point blank. Medics from the Palestinian Red Crescent say they were prevented from helping the injured man. 159 Palestinians have been killed in uh, the area since the start of the year. Yes, uh, sad situation of what's going on in Palestine. Joining us this morning from Gillingham in Kent is Azaram, the uh, regular contributor to our faith and politics segment of the show and an accountant by profession. Asalaamu Alaikum, Azar. Wa Alaikum Asalaam wa Rahmatullah. Jazakallah for joining us this morning. Uh, we just uh, read out uh, a small uh, article from the Associated Press of what's going on in uh, the Middle East, in Palestine in particular, and the increased number of deaths of Palestinians. Your assessment of the situation in Palestine and the increased death toll every time a Palestinian is murdered by the Israeli forces, they claim that they have come under attack, which is not, has not always been the truth. Uh, yes, so this situation will continue, uh, and you know, for the medium term, unfortunately, that's that's the tragic reality mm. because the Palestinians are being uh, discriminated against and. Uh, uh, what the Israeli uh, state is practicing is apartheid. So they are facing um, extremely poor conditions and discriminatory policies in employment, education, healthcare, you name it. Uh, 
Mm. Uh, whereas the Israeli um, state is quite uh, uh, affluent mm. and can help. The only way forward is for uh, these discriminatory policies to um, to be uh, abandoned. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the other aspect is that Israel is involved in uh, illegal occupation mm. of uh, Palestinian lands. So this is uh, totally... And, and that, il- that Ill- illegal occupation is determined by the United Nations, is that right? Yes, 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 yeah. of course. And mm. it's been condemned by the United Nations because obviously the state of Israel was created by the United Nations in 1947-48 mm. and the uh, borders were set out very clearly. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not the Palestinians how, who are contravening these borders. It is the Israelis and it is not only the Israeli state uh, which is uh, responsible, and I would use the word guilty, in this circumstances, it is also the international community led by countries like uh, America and uh, Britain mm. who support the Israeli government. Now, this is a political issue. This is not a religious issue at all. No, I'm indeed. not condemning no. Israel. No. For it's you know for being a Jew because we love the Jews. Jews are our brothers. Indeed, uh, but this is a political issue. I'm only sure. condemning uh, political uh, discriminatory policies. Uh, and and rightly so to to point that out because many people link it with as if it's a Jewish Islamic situation when it's not. When Palestinians themselves are made up of Jews, Christians, and Muslims. So it's not just Muslims that are the Palestinian people. In terms of uh, the the, the neighboring uh, Arab nations, they haven't done themselves justice in this cause. In fact, they've shot themselves in the foot sometimes, have they not, uh, in not uh, creating, one, support for the Palestinians, and two, the way they've dealt with Israel. Yes, uh, the thing is this, that we need a political solution, a diplomatic solution. Mm. Because, you know, Israel is a very uh, powerful country. It's one of the largest uh, uh, military powers in the world, top five of them. Well, it's a nuclear state, Mm. uh, if you believe uh, uh, reliable sources, it is a nuclear state. Mm. So Israel cannot be um, uh, messed with. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is this, that um, the unity of the Arabs is totally lacking. And I think this is what you meant by, uh, by, uh, by uh, shooting themselves in the foot. They have no unified diplomatic, political, or even military uh, stance mm. towards the situation. They have no real... Uh, either against Israel or helping the Palestinians. So there's no unified stance. Uh, You know, for example, Egypt and Turkey, they have full uh, diplomatic relations with with, uh, Israel and uh, also UAE and Saudi are considering, and I think Saudi has some trade links. Overall, I am happy with links between nations. Yeah. Right. This is my personal stance. Mm, I don't mm. believe in sanctions because they, uh, you know, the people, the the populace, millions of people, as you've seen in um, what happened with sanctions against Russia. So, uh, you know, we should have links so that people are in conversation and they can uh, progress and they can progress the cause of peace. 
but I'm afraid this is totally lacking, and I blame not only the state of Israel, but also uh, countries like uh, America and Britain mm. who support uh, uh, the state of Israel in whatever it does. So this and, they the can be ve- and they can be very influential in, in making uh, uh, governments come to the table and, and negotiate for peace. Well, well, you know what, how the, uh, what you say is absolutely correct. So you know what happened with America and Britain and Europe, uh, how they reacted towards the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mm. Right? They considered it illegal, so they imposed sanctions. Well, actually, those sanctions uh, backfired in the end because we were all having to suffer mm. uh, with higher gas bills and higher mortgages and all that. But never yeah, mind. Absolutely. So where are the sanctions against the state of Israel? I mean, if you want sanctions, I am not pro-sanctions against Russia or even pro-sanctions against Israel. But I'm asking them, if you have sanctions against one illegal uh, um, activity or war, mm. why mm. not against uh, Israel? I yeah. mean, you know, it's just... It's a, a sign of duplicity. Yeah, it's a sign of duplicity. I think we need the ones to come into the question. Yeah. Assalamu alaikum. You know, the West uh, tends to consider themselves uh, as the bastion of morality. We've seen that uh, over the World Cup. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, bastion for fairness as well. Why do you think that there is this stance that uh, is taken by the West, ignoring the excesses of the U- Jewish state? And, and I just want to add to that, as a, uh, that uh, every time an Israeli soldier gets killed, uh, the BBC and the Western media will suddenly bring on uh, the new on the news item, and the Palestinian ambassador will be called in. You know what have the Palestinians? Why are they doing this? And his argument has always been that why do you always call me when there's an Israeli killing, but not when a Palestinian is killed? Yes. So, Walid uh, uh, Sahib used the word bastion of human rights. Well, we do enjoy human rights in the uh, in the West. Um, you know, even in America. Uh, I mean, you know, if you leave aside the situation of the Afro-Americans and the um, and the Red Indians, but in England, which I normally put forward as a good place uh, where human rights are enjoyed, so you know, why doesn't Britain? It's a very straightforward question. Why doesn't Britain condemn the human rights abuses in uh, in Israel? So I don't know what the answer is. Is it because? Uh, the Jews suffered so heavily in Europe, you know, the suffering of the Jews has never been at the hands of Muslims, even today. It's been at the hands of Western Europeans. Mm. Uh, um, And, you know, in states like Spain, Russia, Britain, everywhere, they they have suffered greatly. In fact, in the hands of, uh, under Islamic rule, they have lived in peace. Uh, Absolutely. So now they've passed on the Jewish <coughs> problem. Western Europe has passed on the palmed it off to Palestine mm. and created a state there, which was, uh, according to Jodhri Zafrullah Khan Saab, who spoke in the 1947-48 debates, it was an illegal thing to do, but never mind. It happened. So we are where we are. Uh, and, you know, somehow, because... The state of Israel is the creation of, you know, the Balfour Treaty or uh, whatever it was back in 1917. Mm-hmm. So somehow they feel obliged 
to support Israel in whatever it does, yeah. which is a very uh, uh, seriously immoral position. And the other is, some people say, that Israel has very large financial uh, financial uh, tentacles, so that people in New York, in London, they are dependent on financiers, uh, Jewish financiers in the banking sectors, uh, and they have to rely on them, and uh, they can't afford to lose the votes in the election. Mr. Starmer, he's a labor uh, um, um, you know, uh, leader. Mm. He's also said that, I, you know, I support the state of Israel and what have you. Yeah. How can you say that mm. when, you know, they are in illegal occupation and the United Nations has condemned this illegal occupation? Sure. Uh, I think there's a lot more to discuss on this, uh, but uh, we've got other stories to go through. Uh, we'll move on to the next story. Uh, the fishing vessel Captain Tells drowning migrants screamed for help this is what mail on sunday a fishing crew has been given has given a shocking account of how drowning migrants screamed for help as it confirmed that at least four died after a small boat capsized in the freezing channel this morning what else did the mail say uh, the captain of the fishing vessel described the scenes as something out of a second world war movie saying they pulled more than 30 people from the water, but at least one could not be saved. And there were people in the water everywhere screaming, the skipper named uh, Raymond told Sky News. Right, uh, let's play a little clip of what Suella Beverman has to say. Just a bit of role play. I'm a 16-year-old orphan from an East African <coughs> country escaping a war zone and uh, religious persecution. And I have a, uh, a sibling legally in the United Kingdom at the moment. What is the safe and legal route for me to come to the United Kingdom? Um, well, we have... Uh, you're fleeing which country, sorry? Any what African you, country. Any African country. Well... Be any continent, but let's say any African country. I don't want to name one because then their Prime Minister might have a go at me for demonising their population. So let's just theoretically talk about an African country which is going through a period of turbulence and which is persecuting its citizens, including an innocent 16-year-old like me? Well, we have um, uh, an asylum system, and people can put in applications oh. for asylum. How would I do that? Well, you can, um, uh, you can, you can do it uh, through the safe and legal routes that we, we have. We, we have offered 390,000 places uh, to people seeking safety from various countries around the world. I'm not Syrian, um, I'm not uh, Afghan, I'm not uh, Ukrainian, not any of those specific <coughs> schemes. The Dub scheme uh, is historic. What schemes open to me? Well, if you are able to get to the UK, you are able to put in an application for asylum. But I would only enter the UK illegally then, wouldn't I? Well, that, that would, if you put in your application for asylum uh, upon arrival, that would uh, be the, the process that you enter. And, and it goes on without answering the question. Uh, why is the government not able to take control of the of the situation here? I mean, this is, these are tragic deaths of innocent people fleeing. Uh, some British might say they're just uh, economic migrants, but most are not, uh, and most are not illegal. Well, uh, yes, a very interesting question. I think uh, I would say the main problem with Britain's policy is that 
the first step is that it it wants to pile hostility onto the people seeking asylum. They have no compassion. Mm. They have a lot of compassion for the Ukrainians, don't get me wrong. So when, you know, but for people seeking asylum, there is absolutely no compassion. And they are, they are seeking every way to stop them rather than to treat them with compassion. So how come the Ukrainians, you know, some of people who are, um, who are a bit cynical, they say because the Ukrainians are bl- blonde and blue-eyed, and you know they've been, been they've they have been put up in homes, haven't they? Mm. Kent and other parts. But see how these asylum seekers, who are from Arab countries, African countries, uh, Afghanistan, Syria, and you know some of these people they're fleeing war and destruction in their home in their homelands. And the war and the destruction has been caused by Western nations. For example, what they did to Iraq, what they have, uh, and they have been plying weapons to other countries to bomb Yemen. And uh, what their policy was in Afghanistan was an absolute shambles. Uh, so these people are coming here because those countries have broken up and you know they're they're fleeing persecution sometimes fleeing war so there has to be uh compassion and there's none as i can see uh towards the uh, uh towards these asylum seekers and number two is the brexit question because if you know why I, why do all these people who are in europe after all in france and they want to cross over and they cross you know they they track the whole of europe to come to France and then they want to cross the channel. Mm. There has, there had to be a EU policy because you know some of these EU countries are quite uh, hospitable, like uh, Germany, and so there had to be a good EU uh, policy to house these uh, uh, asylum seekers who are, you know, who are absolutely justified in their claims. I think to seek asylum, uh, but there is none because Britain has burnt its votes with uh, with Europe and you know they can't now sit down and say oh can we come back into the club and discuss uh, uh, you know these asylum seekers well the, you know the Germans and the French say no thank you you're not in the club anymore mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. deal with your problems so this is you know because we didn't have because we didn't have these issues prior to Brexit did we and certainly since Brexit the, the crossings of the migration and the deaths that have, that have been caused has, has started since Brexit. Has Brexit caused a lot of issues for Britain? No, I think there were some uh, crossings uh, within, uh, uh, you know, before Brexit as well. There were some, if you look at the figures. Mm. Uh, but the thing is this, that uh, um, with Brexit, the problem was that uh, Britain didn't want all these uh, workers from Eastern Europe to come. Mm-hmm. And that was a big problem. That is causing a big problem now to many industries like agriculture, factories, the service industry. They haven't got people to, uh, you know, so immigration was good for Britain uh, or immigrant immigrant workers. So so I'm afraid, uh, you know, I think the main problem is Britain doesn't have a compassionate attitude towards Mm. I was, I was speaking to a businessman who I worked for 
for some years and he was telling me that uh, since uh, uh, the Europeans have returned back since Brexit and he was a Brexit supporter himself at, at one time uh, he said that there's been real issues employing people he can't get people now and he's short of staff everywhere in all his uh, places uh, where he employs people and uh, so he's looking at other avenues so certainly that that has certainly been the cause uh, mm. really. yes i'm not surprised yeah you know uh, i mean there are a lot of industries which are suffering quite badly mm. through uh, lack of uh, workforce labor force Indeed. so how it's going to pan out in the future i'm not sure at all but currently we face this big problem with uh, brexit uh, because I think the immigrant workers who came in, the Romanians and the um, uh, Polish, Slovaks, I think they, you know, they were all, I don't know what the problem was, because they were all gainfully employed. None of them, you know, I have a lot of clients who are from these countries, not a lot, but some, and they're all gainfully employed, both the man and the woman, both the husband and the wife are working and paying their taxes. Mm. Uh, they're not claiming benefits, and none of them are going to NHS because they're all healthy, you know. Yes, yes. When mm. people come mm. over, they're young. And, you know, when you're young, you don't go to doctors that much. Correct. Uh, so <coughs> I, I don't know what the problem was there, actually. Mm. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I was going to ask you, I mean, you say that uh, we don't have any compassion, but supporters of the government would say that the majority, the vast majority of asylum applications are accepted, something like 80 or 90 percent. So that doesn't show that uh, there's no compassion. And the, fa the, very, fact that we are, the very fact that we are uh, receiving or prepared to receive uh, people who are seeking asylum is an indication of our compassion, isn't it? Yeah, I would agree with you, actually. Uh, uh, is it a case so of compassion of the people? The British people is there, but uh, maybe not of the government. That is what the yes, accusation but, is. You know, Asylum seekers, they're having a very tough time. As you know, they're crossing the channel in very precarious conditions. They're young children. And so I'm just comparing. I, overall, I accept what you say, Walid, yeah. that the British people are, you know, very nice people. They're very compassionate. They accept a lot of immig immigrants. And they give them a lot of rights, like nationality. And people like us have done very well. We came over here in the 60s. We're all doctors, dentists and uh, IT workers, bankers, businessmen, blah, blah, blah. So that's all very well. Uh, but mind you, we did come from British uh, colonies. Mm. <laughs> Never mind. We were given good treatment here, and we're grateful for that. But uh, for the asylum seekers, especially from African countries, war-torn, I think, uh, you know, the British did, again, show a very large dose of compassion towards the Ukrainian. Ukrainian, so we need that for uh, these people as well. And unfortunately, Brexit is the problem here because we can't negotiate with the rest of Europe. Exactly. Because yep. of bad blood. Well, we yep. can, well, still, uh, but because uh, of bad blood. While, while we're in the EU, we could uh, ask the, those host nations to deal with the exactly. situation, but now we can't. Uh, exactly. as it, uh, our time has come to an end, unfortunately. Uh, there was lots of other news items, but uh, we got engaged in these very engaging discussions. So thank you very much for joining us and sharing your views on the stories. Jazakallah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Right. We're going to move on to our next story, which is uh, the Festival of Hanukkah. Um, the eight-day Jewish celebration known as Hanukkah or Shanukkah 
com- commemorates the rede- rededication during the second century of BC of the Second Temple of Jerusalem, where, according to legend, Jews, uh, to legend, Jews had risen up against the Greek Syrian oppressors in the Maccabean Revolt. Hanukkah, which means dedication in Hebrew, begins on the 25th of Kislev on the Hebrew calendar and usually falls in November or December. What else is there? Can you tell us about the festival of Hanukkah? Hanukkah 2022 uh, begins on the evening of uh, Sunday, December the 18th and ends on the evening of Monday, December 26th. So Boxing Day really often called the Festival of Lights. The holiday is celebrated with the lighting of the menorah, uh, traditional foods, uh, games and gifts. To learn more about this, we are joined this morning with our very good friend, Rabbi Jeff Berger. Rabbi Berger is an interfaith advisor, a broadcaster, a writer, a public speaker, chaplain and a pastoral carer. Since 2018, he has been involved with interfaith outreach and efforts to build bridges of understanding and compassion between amongst faith leaders and in the UK and further afield and has appeared on Voice of Islam on numerous occasions, particularly our show, The Weekend World Show. Good morning and shalom, Rabbi Berger. Good morning, dear Hassan, and assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Uh, Rabbi, you're about to start this evening, I believe, your festival of Hanukkah. Could you enlighten our listeners more about it? You know, the Muslims celebrate the main festivals, the festivals of Eid, which yeah. follows the end of Ramadan, and the other commemoration is of Abraham and his token sacrifice of his son, we say Ishmael. Yeah. What are yeah. some of the key festivals of the Jewish faith and this particular festival as well? Uh, thank, thank you so much. First, may I begin by saying that I hope that you and your community have been coping with these uh, recent below-freezing temperatures. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, I hope that the Ahmadiyya community, as it has always done, uh, is uh, is supporting, is uh, reaching out to support those who, due to the uh, soaring uh, cost of gas and electricity, are finding themselves possibly having to choose between heating their homes and eating. Mm. Um, I know in our community uh, we are very conscious of the cost of living Indeed. crisis and um, and we are compassionate. So I, I start with that as the sort of my introduction. Well, well, let me answer that very quickly and then you can please continue. Uh, indeed, uh, our centres are opening up as uh, warm centres. Warm rooms. Warm rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, here at the Bethel Fatu, we've got a large room where we, uh, many members of the public come in where we provide them tea, coffee, some light refreshments and even watching the World Cup football mm. on TV as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> so, so we're doing that around the country in, in, in our mosque and trying to do other projects as well. Providing food banks. Food we've also ba- started yeah. food banks. We started yeah. food banks as well. So yes, so we are. thank you very much for Amazing. that thought and, and, and reminding us. And may that. I pray that you will continue to do such Amen. good work. Amen. Anyway. So, you know, m- most of the couples that I know, mm. it's the man who likes the cold weather and the woman who craves <laughs> for warmer temperatures. Um, you know, in our house, it's the opposite. Mm. You know, my dear wife is quite stoic. She mm. has you know, stuck with the government guideline of keeping the thermostat at 17.5 degrees Celsius. Yeah. And, and I believe that um, the other day I may have seen the neighbor's cat uh, with its whiskers having icicles on it oh. um, as it was wandering outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but I- I- in the meantime, um, 
Hanukkah, as you asked, and, and some of the other Jewish festivals. Hanukkah is what is called a rabbinic festival. That is to say, it does not appear in the scripture uh, of the uh, of the the Hebrew Bible. It was something that was um, that was put into place by the rabbinic authorities uh, many years after the close of our canon of our the Tanakh. That is the you know the the full Hebrew scripture. Ah, so it, um, it uh, postdates the writing of the Torah. Exactly. Yes, right. there are two festivals like that. The other one is Purim. Uh, which occurs um, usually early spring, about a month before Passover. Mm. But our our main festivals are, as you know, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement, and then we have three foot festivals, uh, sort of like the pilgrimage that is still done today in the in the Islamic world. We used to have a pilgrimage for three foot festivals: the the festival of Sukkot, also known as Tabernacles. Uh, Passover, uh, which we call Pesach, and also Shavuot, which is the Feast of Weeks, uh, sometimes uh, connected to um, Pentecost in the Christian tradition. Um, But Hanukkah itself, to understand it, we have to go back nearly 2,200 years in history. That's well before the arrival of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and almost 200 years before the the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. And as you pointed out, Hanukkah is an eight-day festival that commemorates a defeat, a military defeat, of the Syrian Greek army, known as the Seleucids, who had occupied Jerusalem for more than three and a half years and defiled the Second Jewish Temple by uh, importing um, idolatrous uh, statues and even going to the extreme of uh, sacrificing, slaughtering swine in what was a place to the Jewish people that was quite sacred. Um, so uh, a small group of zealots known as the Maccabees rose up and they liberated the temple. Uh, it took them several efforts. There was, as I said, it was a long drawn out period, three and a half years. Um, and it was a period that you could say was characterized by religious persecution, but separately also by extreme Jewish infighting. And it was the infighting, I think, that that brought about much of the trouble in the first instance. But um, if you want more specific history, you know, there's Alexander the Great, who passed away, who died in 323. His kingdom was divided, his empire was divided into three. There was the Ptolemaic kingdom in Egypt, and there was the Antiochus kingdom in Syria. And they were fighting over who was going to take control of Judea. Um, and Antiochus from Syria won mm-hmm. that battle, and he initially, he was Antiochus III, he initially was uh, very benevolent, and he guaranteed his Jewish subjects their right to live according to their ancestral customs. Right. But when he passed away and his son took over, Antiochus IV, mm-hmm. then things turned uh, much worse. And part of that was because at the time there was a group which were known as the Jewish Hellenists, and then there were the Temple Jews, and they couldn't get along with each other. Um, And the Hellenists reached out to Antiochus to ask him for their support, for his support, and that led to um, to more trouble than they had hoped for. That is a, a historical background to the festival. 
yeah. thank you very much for enlightening us with that and uh, something I've, I've, I've learned a lot. Uh, thank you. And as I always do whenever you do come and tell us about the various festivals. In terms of this festival and what it means to the Jewish um, family structure, are there any spiritual significances about this festival that uh, particularly um, shine the light? I mean, on pardoning the pun, being the festival of the light. Well, uh, well, right. So th- there is certainly a lot of light that is uh, that is uh, shined or illuminated. Mm-hmm. Um, but the festival itself really marks a liberation and rededication. Of uh, at a time period when um, you know there was a, a immense restriction to religious freedom. So, mm. for example, the you know the Jews of that time were not allowed to do some of the basic things that they do to study the Torah. They were not allowed to um, observe the Sabbath or uh, perform the circumcision rites, all at the risk of death. Um, and so. Um, you know when the temple was taken back and liberated and it was restored and a new altar was built um and new vessels what they you know the, the story behind hanukkah which is the light part of that story is mm. that they went into the temple to find pure olive oil to light the candelabra uh-huh. and they only found one flask and that flask was sufficient to last for one day and miraculously, it lasted for eight days. Now, how that happened, I don't know, um, whether they divided it up into smaller portions of one-eighth mm. or not, but it took seven days to make new oil. Right. So the fact that the oil lasted for eight days is something that we celebrate today as, as part of the eight-day festival. And from a family point of view, um, it's, really, it's really a festival to... Um, shine the light outwards. Right. You know, the, the the tradition is that we put the menorah, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the candelabra, it's called a menorah, right. or a hanukkiah. Th- is that the, the, is that the five candle candelabra? It's eight. eight. This Sorry. one actually has, it, it's eight, and plus it has one extra, so it's really a nine-branched oh, candelabra. Okay, okay. And, and at this time of year, if you walk in the streets in Jewish neighborhoods, you will see that the candelabras usually are facing the window uh, that is towards the street. So shining um, the light out to others. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Very, indeed. You, you mentioned about uh, this being a rabbinic uh, festival, i.e. not in the yeah. Old Testament. I, yeah. I, I, I do remember there's a mention about uh, Jesus attending a feast of dedication and Jesus being born a Jew. Uh, I yeah. would have thought that that would have been the festival that they, because you, it is this festival is known as the festival of dedication. So I presume yeah. there's a mention of it in the New Testament. There, in that there is, yeah. there is. I have to say I, I'm I'm not well versed no, enough no. to be able to Indeed. tell you where. No, no. But it is it, it does make an appearance in in the New Testament. Okay. So what about the festival in terms of what goes on in a Jewish household during these eight days? What sort of things happen? Yeah. So, uh, how so, is it? Fest, how is the festival celebrated? Yeah, so families will get together, especially um, just as the sun is setting, because mm. the um, the mitzvah, you know, the yes. the, the commandment or the <clears throat> the um, prescription is that we should light the candles when they will have the most impact, which is when it's just getting dark and people are still walking in the streets. So 
um, families will get together, uh, they will sing some songs, they'll light the candles. Uh, a more recent custom is that, you know, the children are given some gifts and, uh, and we will have special foods uh, to commemorate that festival. And those foods, of course, are all connected to the miracle of the olive oil. So we'll have uh, fried donuts, we'll have uh, potato pancakes, uh, things that are cooked in oil. Um, uh, hopefully in in moderate doses, but uh, some people, you know, will will enjoy indulge further. <laughs> yes. Indeed, uh, I mean, food always plays a key role in all festivals of all faiths. Uh, take Islam, for example. Yeah. You know, even though we fast for thirty days, food plays yeah. a key role in that. Um, Indeed. Uh, so, uh, what sort of foods would you be eating during this festival at home? Uh, so, you know, the, what's very interesting in the Jewish community, as you're probably aware, is that as a result of some of the early history, pardon me, That's okay. um, when the Roman Empire um, expelled many of the, um, the, the Jews of Judea uh, into the four corners of the world, um, Jewish communities took root in many places, uh, that you wouldn't expect to find them. For example, in Goa, India, in Kerala, um, there were Jewish communities, obviously, in mm. Babylon, right, in Baghdad, and in Tehran, and in uh, Damascus, and many parts of the Arab world. There were also Jewish communities that you know, made their way as far flung as uh, Japan, China, uh, Latin America, etc. And so, over time, um, the influence of the local culture also I think had an impact yes. on the food that was consumed by Jewish people in those particular countries. Um, here again, I would say um, in the United Kingdom, we're working uh, in a sort of a Western diet. So we'll have, you know, we'll have things that have potatoes. Mm. Um, it, they don't, it, there's not really a roast turkey or any kind of meats that are connected to the Hanukkah right, festival. Right. It's it's a it's much lighter fare. Mm. Uh, unlike Passover, which has to do with leavened bread, unleavened bread, etc. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. Passover okay. is much more prescribed and yes. it's much more complex. Indeed. Uh, what about the, the festival? Seems to mostly be around Christmas time. It it appears. Yes. Um, yes. I'm not sure if that's the case every time, but it, it's going to start. Uh, a week before Christmas, ending on Boxing Day, and yes. Xmas. Though know, Christmas has its origins in Christianity, though yes. today much of it is less to do with the faith. Uh, yes. How did yes. you see Christmas? Exactly. Yeah. How did you see Christmas? And do many partake in, ex in Christmas festivities, especially as the many Jews are either less into their faith, while others have got into mixed marriages. Right. That's a very interesting question. Um, so first, um, as you pointed out, you know, the Jewish uh, calendar is based on a solar and a lunar uh, cycle. So our months are lunar months, but every almost three years on average, we adjust by having a leap year, which in which we add an extra month. We intercalate the calendar in order so that our festivals occur rather consistently at the same time of year, whereas, for example, in the Islamic tradition, Ramadan moves by about 11 days Correct. every year Correct. around the calendar. Um, so, so, um, so Hanukkah will always occur in the sort of uh, late autumn, early winter, 
um, because it is connected to, as you pointed out, the month of Kislev, which is the third month of our calendar year from the new year, Rosh Hashanah, and it occurs on the 25th day of Kislev, so it means it's really towards the end of the third month. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's the first thing I would say. And yes, growing up, I mean, we always had um, a, a, an awareness, because I, I was born in the United States. The United States is also predominantly a Christian country, um, uh, and so, you know, we were all very aware of Christmas, mm. but I, I would say that we didn't, at least in, in the families that I knew, um, there weren't many who celebrated Christmas. If anything, we envied uh, the idea that, you know, there were gifts, lots mm. of gifts <laughs> yes. that were given and, and so, big celebrations. Yeah, certainly for children. But, <laughs> right, especially. And, and you know, that that's one of the things that I think is precious about this time of year. There's that magical element for children, mm. whether it's Hanukkah or whether it's Christmas. But I would like to just interject that, you know, I'm a volunteer uh, police chaplain for the Hot- Hartfordshire Constabulary. Right. And, and a, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> a colleague of mine, yes. a colleague of mine recently produced a very useful mental health well-being guide for the mm. Christmas period, and it really includes some very important ideas and pieces of in- advice. The most important, um, that there are three aspects. One is the mental-emotional test that it puts us under. The other is the physical test because of all the food and drink mm-hmm. consumed. And and third, and probably most important, is the financial pressure. So, you know, the, the cost of cooking a Christmas dinner this year will be much higher than it was last year, um, both because of the ingredients and the energy, right, the cooking uh, energy that is required. And, and a study that I saw showed that the cost has risen three times faster than wage increases. Mm. So families are already going to be feeling a bit of a pinch. And then on top of that, there's all the money that might be spent on gifts and food. Um, And I don't know about you, but um, I think, unfortunately, the festival has become a little bit corrupted in the fixation on presents and less on the idea of the birth of Jesus and the idea of bringing um, peace to the world. So one one of you know one of my concerns is that if we're not careful, um, many people will end up with what is called a financial hangover when the holidays conclude and next month the credit card bills arrive. You, you know, it's something we're going to be discussing in the next part of the show with uh, an Imam Ibrahim Noonan who was a convert from Christianity, and he had studied Christianity as well as a Roman Catholic and then became a Muslim later. So we'll be asking mm. him about you know, how Christmas has changed and has it become too commercial. So we'll be discussing that with him. But one of the things we quoted earlier in the uh, the program, both Walid and myself, was a quote from Jesse Jackson who said, your children need your presence more than mm. your more than your presence, uh, uh, and I think uh, that that very much fits into what you are saying that Christmas has become very commercialized, um, yeah. and uh, and less faith based, and yeah. and and in the aftermath of COVID, you got this Christmas with the rising cost of uh, uh, energy bills and food costs. Mental mental health is going to be a major issue. And uh, yeah. what sort of other things are you doing in that regard? You, you told me about well, the wonderful work that you are doing. 
Right. So we're, we're looking at, for example, trying to advise people. We've got a, a lovely document that we send around and we're making presentations wherever we can. So, you know, there's the there's the unhealthy side of Christmas, overeating and unfortunately also over drinking, consuming alcohol too much. Oh, and over which indulgence. I think yeah. And over indulgence, which I, I think that your audience is, is, is mostly exempt from. But yes. Um, and then there's the pressure that women face in preparing a delicious meal and a perfect Christmas and hosting extended family members, not all of whom get along so well with each other. You know, when you put all of that together, um, you, you, you find a situation where people start to question their own self-worth. Um, and, and then the, the, the last point, I guess, that I'll mention, which, which is obvious but often overlooked, is that... Um, over the years, people have lost family members, and maybe more recently, um, they've been bereaved um, and are feeling vulnerable. Some people are feeling alone for one reason or another. Families are more uh, separated. You know, children have gone to take jobs overseas, uh, leaving their parents here behind. Um, there are lots of different reasons why um, Christmas could be a time that evokes a lot of feelings of loneliness mm. and sadness, even though it's supposed to be a, a celebration. So we're really trying to encourage people um, to concentrate on good mental health, to give themselves a sense of forgiveness, um, to, you know, to, to be, to be uh, not, not thinking that they have to have the perfect Christmas, um, uh, you know, to ask others to help them so they don't feel that they're doing it all themselves and they get resentful. Um, to you know, to reach out to those people who uh, may be not uh, so so fortunate, and you know, for me, one of the things I think is really important, and especially for training children, more than the presents that we give them mm. uh, with a T, is the idea that they should be giving something themselves. Does, yeah. You know, and and in our community, we we got into the habit of instead of giving lavish gifts, which people usually then re-gift to someone else because mm. they've got too much, we make donations to food banks and to other charities at this time of year in their name and in their honor. What a wonderful way of celebrating uh, any festival. And a man after my own heart in that regard, and, and some of the ethics that you mentioned very much the ethics of the Amdiya Muslim community as well. Rabbi Berger, thank you very much for joining us and enlightening us with your wonderful thoughts. I want to wish you and your listeners a very happy year-end season and a wonderful and healthy 2023. Thank Amen you. To happy Hanukkah. God bless you. Goodbye. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum to our listeners. Welcome back to the Weekend World Show with Asan Amdi and Waleed Ahmed. Uh, Waleed, we are now coming on to our uh, Faith uh, Behind the Headlines uh, segment of the show. Um, so we'll start with uh, our... It's just been called for Donald Trump. The decision taken to join the common market has been reversed. should call a general election. Weekend World. Questions to the Prime Minister. Behind the Headlines. Right, let's start with the verse of the Holy Quran, chapter 19, verses 34 to 37. 
قول الحق الذي فيه يمترون ما كان لله أن يتخذ من ولد سبحانه إذا قضى أمرا فإنما يقول له كن فيكون وإن الله ربي وربكم فاعبدوه هذا صراط مستقيم That was the Holy Quran chapter 19 verses 34 to 37 Allah says and peace was on me the day I was born, and peace there will be on the day I shall die, and the day I shall be raised up to life again. Such was Jesus, son of Mary. This is a statement of truth about which they doubt. It does not befit the majesty of Allah to take unto himself a son. Holy is he. When he decrees a thing, he says it to be, and it is. Said Jesus, surely Allah is my Lord and your Lord, so worship him alone. That is the right path. Uh, Walid, joining us this morning mm. is an ex-Christian who accepted Islam in the late 80s, whose family background is devout Roman Catholicism from Ireland, and he's now an imam with a degree in theology and philosophy, studied at the Trinity College of Dublin, one could argue an expert on Islam and Christianity without a doubt. Assalamu alaikum, Ibrahim Noonan. Welcome to the Weekend World Show with myself, Hassan Amdi, and Walid. Um, Ibrahim Saab, uh, you have been brought up as a Christian uh, in your early life, and we heard uh, in our last show we were discussing that Christianity has now become a minority faith while Islam is seeing a growth in, uh, is one of the fastest growing here in Britain. Why, why do you think Christianity is in decline? Why, why this uh, turning away from Christianity in the West? Well, I, I think um, a major role in this is definitely the rise in um, secularism and uh, atheism and other forms of ideologies that try to promote a rational, logical, or scientific view of life. I think that has a huge role in it, mm-hmm. um, especially among the young people who want to uh, enjoy life without, without having to be tied down to uh, certain rules and regulations. Yeah, that could be part and parcel of what is happening to Christianity as a whole. And Christmas is probably the most celebrated festival around the world, and it appears that as the UK becomes less Christian, the Christian festival is becoming more commercial. Is there a link between the two? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, I was in London um, two two weeks ago or or more, Mm -hmm. um, and when I was up visiting um, Hyde Park, I spent the Sunday in Speaker's Corner, and uh, then I went to Leicester Square, um, and there was a huge Christmas market there. Right. And you can see it's commercialized now. There's no, there's nothing amongst the Christmas markets that would signify religiousness. It was all commercial, mm. um, you know, commercial um, shops there, 
huts there, uh, you know, kiosks there, uh, food, alcohol, um, Christmas items. Uh, but there was nothing that you could point out to as being anyway connected to religion. Mm. Um, but but that said, um, I have to say in Ireland we have, uh, of course, we have a Christmas market all over Ireland as well. There is still there is Ireland is still to a degree religious, and you can see. Um, some elements of uh, the Christmas spirit as such uh, in some of the places here, but certainly in, in, in UK, um, I would say that it's, it's, it's gone completely commercial. There's nothing religious about it. Mm. I was listening to a discussion between uh, Mick Lynch, I was telling Waleed, that uh, between Mick Lynch and Richard Madeley on the Good Morning program. And uh, Richard, uh, Mick Lynch, the, art, uh, the, the uh, union leader for the train drivers, was saying that uh, there's going to be no strikes over the Christmas period. And Richard Madeley was arguing that commercial Christmas starts back in November. Uh, so it, it just shows you that even the presenters of to, to TV have little to do with the, with the religious festival of Christmas. Now, the importance is given to the commercial uh, aspect of Christmas. So it seems that Christianity seems to be going that way, or Christmas seems to be going that way. You, I mean, you were born uh, into a Christian family, a Roman Catholic family, and you just told us about that there still seems to be a bit of a hold on to Christianity in the Christmas around in Ireland. When you were growing up, was Christmas about commercialism or was it more to do with the faith? Oh, no, when I was growing up, um, Christmas was religious. I mean, um, there's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, Christmas Eve, uh, Midnight Mass was one of the highlights of the Christmas. So uh, you would see every single church packed and for example, I used to go to the cathedral mm-hmm. uh, every Christmas with my grandparents and my friends. And I mean, I, I mean, I, at that time I was sixteen, seventeen. So I mean, um, a lot of young people you would have seen a church, you would have seen a, ca- a, a cathedral packed full with young people. Mm. Um, and um, all of us that we that I knew, and certainly I knew many of them were in that ca- that, that cathedral that night, or many nights that I went there over the years. We were all devout Catholics at the time. We we believed in what we practiced. Right. We believed in in the, what 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 Christmas Day, Christmas Eve signified, which was the birth of Jesus. So uh, I would say in my time we were definitely it was it was there was very little element of commercialism, more more religious uh, aspects of it. And is that? Uh something that influenced you in your thinking and the way you you develop your moral values? Oh, of course. I mean, I'm, I was very lucky, um, very blessed in that way that I, I had a family, particularly my grandparents, who were devout Orthodox Roman Catholic. So I was brought up to have morals and ethics and principles. I was brought up to be kind. I was brought up to... Uh, um, um, you know, uh, considerate. That was, I was brought up to be have empathy towards other people, hmm. to have morals and ethics. Yes, I certainly had that, and that would have come from those who are practicing their faith. Hmm. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it, it reminds me of something I've mentioned on the show before. I was telling Willie that uh, when I was young, uh, I went to my secondary school, and uh, when I went to the assembly, 
a lot of Muslim boys and other some other boys didn't go into the assembly. When I came out, they told me, "Why were you doing this a Christian assembly? You shouldn't be going there." I went home, spoke to my dad about it. What should I do? And he told me off for not going. You know, I should never not go in. He said, "I want you to go in, learn the good moral uh, teaching that they will tell you about. But when it comes to yeah. prayer, you pray in your own way as a Muslim." Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Was, uh, absolutely. And and, and uh, come on, yes. Yeah, we can't deny, we must always be, you know, we must always be at least uh, just in this way. We can't deny that that whatever interpretation people have of Christianity, whether it's the authentic uh, things of Jesus or not, mm. um, and, and in most cases, a lot of what we see in Christianity is not, but there are elements which they did take on board uh, from Jesus about being, about being, having morals and ethics. So, so, um, Absolutely. I mean, you know, Roman Catholic families at that time, and I still believe even some even today, they did teach their children these good, good ethics and morals, and we should never deny that. Absolutely. Um, for me, Islam just Islam enhanced it. It it it, it just made it stronger and polished. Yeah. If you would, if you want, my heart was probably a little bit rusty, but Islam polished it up and made it more more profound in my in my practice. Mm, we'll come to more on that in a minute. Mm. Ruiz, I think you want to come into yes, question. Imam Ibrahim, I want to know, do you think that this decline in Christianity is mirrored by a decline in our morality as well in the UK? Oh yes, 100%. Because now society's got to a stage, um, can you even use the word morality? I mean, does it, does it deserve that Kind of attachment to what we're observing, young people and and all mature older people as well, but particularly young people um, who go out getting uh, go out nightclubs, getting drunk, falling all over the place in the streets. Young girls are dressed uh, well. Can you call them even being dressed? <laughs> um, and I say that with I say that with respectfully. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, young men getting drunk, falling all over the place, and um, you know getting into fights and all sorts of things happen. Um, can you attach morality with that? You can't, because it's certainly not a society that I believe that um, my generation would have been happy with at uh, my time to see such things going on amongst young people. So I think, yes, morality is on its, on its last legs in Muslim society, in my opinion. Yeah, No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, do, do you think that... Um, um, people moving away from Christianity is more to do with um, the incoherence of certain aspects of its beliefs, talking about Trinity, Ascension of, of Jesus Christ. Um, is that a contributory factor rather than people not wanting to be spiritual? Uh, people do want to be spiritual, but they don't want to be spiritual in the Catholic or the Christian way, but in a different manner. Uh, yeah, I, I think that there's some truth to that. But um, what, what people are looking for is some some inner fulfillment, some inner enlightenment. But again, as I said earlier on, they don't want to be tied down to rules and regulations. Um, uh, for example, mm. um, you can, like even even the most strictest Roman Catholic faith. Uh, you're not allowed to have a girlfriend or a wife, and you must you must you must be married as such. Mm-hmm. That's according to the teachings, but the actual practice of that is just look. In my time, and this is true, what I'm telling you now. In my time, 
we weren't allowed to catch hands on the street with a girl. Mm. <laughs> if we were seen catching hands, mm. then it would be it, at that time it was considered inappropriate. And um, this is know, in your it, lifetime. Yeah, his own practices. Yeah, right, exactly. right. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and 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 um, if you even hinted at living in an apartment with a girl in my time, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about mid eighties, late eighties. And in that period, um, you were in Ireland. You were considered a damn to hell. Oh. So you're, you're, yes. So you, I mean, I, I remember those days. I remember. I mean, and let's be honest. Let me be very honest here. Let me be very honest here. I wasn't that's, a Muslim that, at the time. That's what we like on our show, honesty. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I wasn't a Muslim at the time, right? So was I catching girls' hands? Of course, of I course was. you. Were. Right? Oh. But. But but if if I saw my grandparents and my father walking up the road, the, the hands would separate immediately. <laughs> All right. So I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I think uh, this is what I'm saying, Walid Sab. That hmm. a time came and a time has come now. When in my time, even in the early '90s, but in my time, um, there was some kind of understanding with us young people at that time. Mm. of some moral ethical position right mm. but now it's it's all you know you can do what you want yeah, uh, right. you know and yeah. parents parents you know young people could be um you know as young as 16 as young uh, as you know 16 17 in a full relationship with a young man young girl and and at times living with them and the parents don't really say anything anymore no, no. Um, as such so that's that's just i mean if a young couple, I mean, I'm just giving you an example here. If a young couple of 16, 17, or, or, or um, 17, or 20, or 18, whatever, comes home uh, with a child and they're not married, it's not a big it's deal It's not a anymore. big deal, but in the, in the old days, that would have been the major story of the town. Mm. It, it, would be, it would get you sent away, basically. Mm, sent yeah. away, meaning, um, meaning a girl would be, have to shift it to America until the baby's born, and et cetera, et cetera. It was a big thing. And... Um, in these days, like it's just, it's just there's no concept of morality, no. as in my opinion. So, so moving this uh, narration out onto yourself uh, and and having accepted Islam, uh, the the two faiths have played a significant role in your life. Sure, certainly, that, and we can hear that from your voice and from what you're saying to us. How has your understanding of Jesus changed? Because Jesus plays a prominent part in both faiths. Well, you know, um, every Christmas and uh, more every Christmas that leads into Easter as such, um, I used to watch a movie called the um, wasn't the Passion. The Passion is a modern movie. There was a there was a famous movie that was uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Mm. Uh, I think the actor is Robert Powell. I think his name. Oh yes, right? uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah. That's correct. Yes, Je- Jesus of Nazareth. So every year I, I used to look forward to watching that as a Roman Catholic because it would uplift me and my, mm. my belief. Um, but there was a time when, um, you know, when I started questioning that what I'm seeing is not written in Scripture, it's not written in the Bible, it doesn't portray Jesus as God or anything like that. Rather, it portrays a human being who prays to God. That was one of my first kind of... Uh, problematic areas when I was a Christian that how do I define this how do I explain this mm. um, I remember asking a bishop when I was when I was uh, making my confirmation uh, and the confirmation is about reconfirming your faith 
as a Catholic. And the first question I had for him was, well, um, can you define the Trinity for me? Because it doesn't make sense at mm-hmm. all. And uh, how can you have three persons and one God, or one God and three persons, and three is three and one is one, etc.? And, uh, I, I, you know, the bishop caught me up and uh, whispered in my ear and a little slap on the face, <laughs> a loving, loving slap. Loving slap, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he said, don't don't ask such questions. It's meant to be mm. a mystery. So all these things kind of piled up with me. Yeah. Right? Why was it a mystery? And, and surely God doesn't give you mysteries. He gives you the, the revelation which guides you. Why should there be such a mystery on this? And things like that and um I, I just came to the conclusion that i could not see that 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 god which i've been asked to believe in mm. in the in, in the in the person of jesus all i saw was a prophet of god who 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 um simply prayed to god himself so that was one of the marking points of my turning away from uh christianity so what was it in the quran that you saw that you read um, that uh, gave you a different opinion of Jesus and what were those key issues um, in terms of understanding Jesus differently? Well, you 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 recited the Surah uh, Sur, um, uh, Surah Maryam. Sur Maryam, yes. Yeah. Um, that was probably um, one of the things I first saw in the Quran, not the first, but one of the first things I saw which absolutely was in line with I saw in what I was taught in the Bible, or at least what I read in the Bible, when Jesus used to say to his companions, my God, your God, my Father, your Father. I'm going to my, I'm, I'm going to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. And that was clear. <laughs> when someone says my God and your God, then the, he, therefore he's not God, right? So that, that and then so Miriam reinforced that, but I think one of the profound... Um, uh, versus quote number two. One was um, to do with salvation, and the other one was to do with the unity of God. Was sort of a sort of a class. When when it was clear that God was saying that He begots nothing and nothing, he, you know, nothing. He He doesn't create children. There's only Him. There's nothing like unto Him. Mm. There's nothing near Him. Then that made sense to me. And um, the, the the one on salvation was where where God Almighty, Almighty Allah Subhanahu Taala says to uh, to us, to, to, to humanity, that, oh, oh Sahabins, oh Christians, oh Jews, you have nothing to fear. If you act upon your own faith and you act upon it, you have nothing to fear. You will be judged accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, for me, was one of the just uh, statements or verses or revelation I've ever seen. I couldn't find that in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Uh, these were the marking points of me turning towards, towards, towards Islam. What about uh, the ascension of Jesus? How does that differ from the Christian view and how Islam presents the ascension, the ascension of Jesus? Well, I mean, um, of course, for years I used to believe in this, and um, naturally because I was brought up to believe in it. Um, but it's, it is actually, uh, it actually Ahmadiyyat, true Islam, which broke that concept for me. Mm. Um, a long story i'm not going to go through all the story now but um it, it was one day when i saw a debate between two people one was a muslim meaning sunni muslim the other one was an amadi who i did not know he was an amadi i didn't even know amadi existed right um 
but there was a big debate between both of them and it was on the concept of ascension or descending of Jesus uh, on, on earth and of course there our Sunni brother was suggesting that when Jesus returns he would go around breaking crosses and killing pigs and getting rid of jizya. Mm. I was horrified with that description because <laughs> I was like, well, are you sure you have the right Jesus, right? Mm. Um, it was just well, not fitting with the depicting of Jesus uh, of the Bible. And secondly, um, the other person who turned out to be an Ahmadi was actually making sense when he explained that it simply means that he'll break the doctrine of the church, doctrine of the teachings of, of Christianity, he'll bring back the true teachings uh, of, of, of what Jesus, what God actually is, and removing immorality from the world, bringing back righteousness. That made sense to me. And um, so when I was introduced to these verses of the Quran and I was given a book called Team of Jesus, um, that was the, the breaking point uh, for another journey. But um, interestingly, I have to say, your your mayor of London was that Sunni Muslim, Sadiq mm, Khan, mm. by the way. Oh, um, really? That I had, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it was right. Sadiq Khan, Khan who I had been debating with. Right. Um, um, so, <laughs> that's a long story. <laughs> anyway, um, um, so, yeah, so these were kind of the breaking points for me um, mm. to go deeper into other things. And then, of course, when I went into studying other books like uh, Jesus in India, where did Jesus die? Um, these are the ones that really proved to me, both from the Quran and from the Bible, that Jesus never ascended to heaven physically at all. He died like all human beings hmm. uh, on this earth, and uh, you know he would be obviously uh, uh, he would be one of those lucky ones to be ascending to heaven. Um, so that that was really the breaking point, and uh, and and more importantly, uh, the book Tomb of Jesus uh, categorically proves this fact, as well as the books of Jesus in India, of Hazrat Musiyam al-Islam, the famous Hazrat Musaqalam al-Qadiyan, destroyed. I mean, literally, I've always used this word now that those three books crucified me. Right? <laughs> um, that's that's the words I use. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's how I felt. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's how I it made sense. But later on, I have to point out when um, um, I, I came across a Bible which I recently bought, but when I say recently, twenty years ago, mm-hmm. um, which now they have removed the ascension to heaven from the Bible. Right. Yeah. Well, that, and that, they that, have clearly written. They've clearly written in uh, that uh, footnotes mm. that uh, some ancient documents mention the ascension of heaven some don't all right, right? so this is from so this, in the from the bible itself people are now changing the narrative exactly because now they are realizing that in if you go to the ancient manuscripts um and i use the word ancient liberally I mean ancient means third fourth century or even yeah third fourth century mm. um they're realizing that you can't find the ascension <clears throat> of heaven mentioned in some and you can find in other possibly mentioned and that was a big question mark on was the ascension to heaven really something that was believed by the early followers of jesus i doubt it mm. now i believe that they didn't believe in this they actually believed that he was still alive and he traveled towards uh, syria and then he eventually made his way into 
into Kashmir. That is clear now, mm. and the, the more evidence this is coming out. If people look into, there's many documentaries uh, on TV now which talk about Jesus's tomb in Kashmir, etc. Uh, so yeah. people are turning towards what the promised Messiah had, uh, had uh, 100%, said. 100%. 100%. One of the things I remember very distinctly in my life uh, was able to sit in the question-answer sessions of the fourth Khalifa, Zamiza Ahmed. May Allah be pleased with him. Um, and one of the, I had one occasion uh, had the opportunity to ask him a question that how can I prove to Christians about our view of Jesus. And his reply was so emphatic that it, 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 I've never forgotten it and it's something that has sort of uh, led me to who I am today, I would say, as far as faith is concerned. His reply was to prove to them that your love for Jesus is greater than theirs. And I thought that was very profound and that's something that I've tried to emulate and tried. How would you say we should emulate that, that we lo- our love for Jesus is greater than theirs. How can we put that in practice to our Christian friends and to others? Uh, well, whenever someone says to me, who's a Christian, what led you to Islam? There's many things led me to Islam. I mean, I've shared some of them. Mm. But I often say to them that I obey Jesus. Mm. And they said, what do you mean? I said, well, Jesus told us in Scripture that another prophet will come. And he also told us that he would not be coming and then another Messiah will come. So I, I always tell them that I obeyed him. And we believe we, we love him more than you. We obey him more than you. We act upon everything he says more than you. And that's why we, we, I was led to Islam. And um, I, I would say, and I've said this a number of times over the years to my family in Ireland, when I've ever gone down and spent the Christmas weekend, Christmas weekend with them, is that um, you all claim to believe in Jesus. And they all say yes. And then I'll always ask them, did Jesus practice Christmas? <laughs> and the answer is no. So then I said, well, the Muslims are following him and you are not. Uh, we're actually following what he taught. The unity of God, the oneness of God, the worship of God, um, uh, this Christmas whole concept, has nothing to do with him. We are actually um, following him. But I would say, like any other prophet of God, um, we should emulate him or become like him in our practice of uh, meekness, simplicity, humbleness. Um, you know, we can say that we, we follow all the prophets in that way. So the best example to show the love for your for Jesus is to f- emulate him and in, in, in what he did rather than the yeah. innovations that people have created since then. Yes, and, and that also includes being brave enough to accept the possibility, and I use the word possibility there for them, for the Christian friends, that just perhaps he did say in, in the New Testament that after him comes another prophet, and when he comes, you must follow him. And that's what we do. That's what, that's what we do that. And those who embrace Islam from Christianity are actually fu- are literally fulfilling that act by accepting that after Jesus, another prophet is coming, which is Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, mm. and then, of course, Hazrat Muslim Middle Islam, we are actually fulfilling that commandment of Jesus. So mm. we're actually obeying him. And one last question, uh, Ibrahim Nunan, uh, Imam Sahib, is that uh, the promised Messiah, 
as a Mr. Ghulam Ahmed, the promised Messiah and the reformer of the time, stated that uh, people will wait for the second coming of Jesus and then up to three generations they will continue to wait for that to happen and then they will start saying that there is no need for Jesus to come back. Are we in that area now, hence why Christianity seems to be on the decline? Yes. I believe we're entering into a period of history, um, and this is not my thinking, this is, you know, as you said, Hazrat Masih has mentioned this clearly, um, we're just lucky enough to be observing it. Um, I believe now people are not really, you know, general, general liberal or general past-second Christians really don't care they're no longer bothered whether Jesus is coming back again. They just accept that they believe in him. Um, and a period is coming when it will, not, it will not be the most important thing to them, um, whether he'll come back or not. Um, and then their children, so for example, I'm first generation of my family, but now my, the two generations after me now of my, of my, my um, nieces, and then some of them are old enough to have their own children now, so that generation, which I'm looking at now, Jesus is just a name to them now, mm. right? It's just, yes, oh yes, Jesus, some holy person who, who claimed to be the Messiah and who claimed to come back, but he's not here. So they're getting on with their life, believing in him as, a, as one of those mythical folklore stories. Now. A historical so yes, figure more than anything else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That Yes, he once existed. So, you know, that's it. You know, there's no emphasis on the second coming now mm. with them. So, yes, I think we are in that period of history uh, where a time will come. They will just give up and say, you know, does it make a difference if he comes back or not? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're, in, we're entering into that period. One, one could argue in that case, my last uh, comment on this, that St. Paul's uh, comment comes to fruition or the prophecy of what he said without realizing that our faith is in vain, hath Christ not risen. Uh, that seems to be the case for a lot of people now, that uh, the rising of, Christ, of Jesus has no relevance to people's lives, so therefore the faith is now waning away. Exactly. Um, I mean, there's one passage in the Gospel of John uh, where Jesus actually said that none of you, some of you standing in front of me here, will not die until you see the Son of Man coming with his kingdom. 2,000 years later, where is Jesus? And are those apostles who are standing in front of him alive today? No. Um, so Paul's statement is quite an, is quite an interesting statement. Mm. And um, um, he has himself kind of hinted that that, you know what people are believing now that you know it's 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 if Jesus didn't die on the cross, then you know our faith is nothing, and that's probably what a lot of people are thinking about now. That where is Jesus? Wow, what, two thousand years isn't it long enough for him to come back? Uh, we're already seeing what's going on in Ukraine. Mm. We're already seeing so much, many, many tragedies and wars and earthquakes and famines. At the last 10 years, 20 years, many millions and millions of people are starving, hungry, dying. Um, you know, innocent civilians' lives being lost in in the Middle Eastern countries and 
what we're watching in Afghan in um, Ukraine and Russia, people are asking this question: Where is Jesus? Mm. When will he come back? Um, so now a time is coming where they're actually thinking: Well, looks like he's not coming back. So our is our faith really true? Is it is it really is it really something that we were expected to believe in? So I think. Many of them do believe uh, that it's in vain their faith. Indeed, and uh, the promised Messiah's prophecy that three generations will pass is certainly we we're witnessing that now. It appears we we are we are we are so blessed that we are observing this now, Indeed. and this is one one of the many great signs of Hazrat Muhammad's truth. The promised Messiah Hazrat Muhammad Muhammad's truth that whatever he stated a hundred and so many years ago is now coming to pass. And this is one of the greatest truths of his claim mm. of being that Messiah in which the world is waiting for. I mean, the, the sad part about all this is that the very Messiah they were waiting for, mm. which Jesus said would come after him, they're not even recognizing him. Mm. And uh, that's the sad part about it. So on one side, Jesus said things which did happen. Number one, he said another prophet would come after him. The Parakhtalias will come after him, the, the, that prophet, and after him will come a Messiah in his name. Uh, you will see him coming from the east unto the west. All, all these truthful things Jesus said have come to pass. And now that very Messiah, that very important anointed Messiah in Hebrew, meaning anointed one of God, which, which came to the world. Um, and, the king, and actually, the kingdom of heaven came onto this world. In the in the establishment of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, that's what Jesus that's what Jesus meant when he mm. talked about kingdom of heaven. He meant a divinely appointed community which would establish the laws, which would establish the means and the ways to bring about moral integrity, moral principles and ethics, and the true worship of God. The kingdom of heaven is with us, and that is Islam. Um, true, true Islam, Ahmadiyya. So that, that is the sad part of all of this. Uh, Ibrahim Nunesad, thank you very much for sharing your views and thoughts uh, and enlightening us and uh, giving us your life journey as well. And uh, that was highly enlightening for both me and Walid. And I hope for our listeners as well. Thank you very much for joining us. Give my salam to everyone, please. Wa alaikum salam. Your message has been conveyed to all those listening. Uh, right, Willie. Mm. Uh, something that we were discussing with Ibrahim, Imam Ibrahim, there mm. about, and I was narrating about showing the love of Jesus to be more mm. than that of theirs. During the time of the Holy Prophet, this was exemplified by the companions, mm. was it not? Yes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. this uh, takes us back to um, the benevolence of um, uh, certain Christians and certain Christian kingdoms, Abyssinia in particular who gave refuge to the uh, Makkans who were fleeing persecution. And uh, when they reached uh, Abyssinia, the Makkans were quite alarmed at uh, what had happened and sent a delegation to um, seek the return of these uh, refugees. Mm -hmm. um, and they appealed uh, to the king there uh, for their return, they sent uh, a very senior figure, a, a dip, uh, one who was uh, very eloquent and uh, very astute uh, diplomatically. Right. His name was Amr, 
he later became a Muslim and uh, became a prominent Muslim oh, right. and did uh, and served uh, Islam in a very um, uh, admirable way. But uh, one of his skills was certainly uh, that of diplomacy. So he was able to uh, seek um, curry favor with the um, with the courtiers and also with with the king. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, the king was very reluctant to send the Meccans back, and he wanted to hear from the Muslims first before he made his decision. Right. And uh, uh, when he called the Muslims, um, Jafar, the cousin of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, was the spokesman, and he mentioned the reasons why uh, they had accepted uh, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him. And uh, he also um, related as to the uh, depth of uh, the practices, the evil practices that they were they had been engaged in, and how he had removed them from that. So this uh, um, um, uh, had an impact on uh, the king. But what really had the impact, or greater impact, was when the king asked uh, Jafar uh, of what kind of message that uh, the Holy Prophet person, uh, the Holy Prophet peace be upon him was delivering mm-hmm. that he was saying was from God. So at that moment, Jafar bin Abu Talib recited these verses, some of which we have actually listened to, of Surah Maryam. Of Surah Maryam. So uh, historians say it was between um, verses 19 to 42. Okay. And in that is mentioned the uh, birth of uh, Jesus, the conception, um, and also some of the uh, uh, positive features of Jesus. And although it was in Arabic, uh, it is said that it was uh, done in a very impressive way, right. uh, so impressive that uh, courtiers began to weep, and the king also began to weep. And when he learned what it was said, um, he said that this was his uh, belief uh, in Jesus as well. So he was greatly impressed by what was being recited and what the Holy Quran had revealed about Jesus. Mm. Um, and later on, uh, it is said that uh, the courtier, the um, the Meccans not being satisfied, also then, <coughs> excuse me, um, accused the Muslims of um, of blaspheming Jesus or, or okay. uh, yes, of derogating Jesus. Right. And uh, so um, the um, uh, king calls the Muslims back again and he says that... So he did his best to stir it up yeah. for them, yeah. And what I forgot to mention is that uh, when uh, the first incident happened, when Surah Maryam recited, he, the, the king said, I perceive that these words uh, and the words of Jesus have proceeded from the same source of light. So what uh, the, the Negus was saying, mm-hmm. what the king of Abyssinia was saying, is that um, these verses that you have recited, I am sure, is from the same source as the message delivered by, by Jesus, in other, from, in other words, from God. Oh, yeah. And when they t- talked about um, the blaspheming of Jesus, um, the, he said that um, it is said that when uh, he was asked uh, as to whether they were blaspheming Jesus, mm-hmm. Jaffa, the spokesman of the Muslim, said that uh, he believed that Jesus was a servant of Allah, not God, but an exalted messenger for God, and was born of the word of God, which he had sent upon, down upon Mary. And on hearing this, 
we find that the king says, says, picked up a piece of straw. Some say it was a twig or a branch. Uh, and he said, I do not regard Jesus greater than what you have told me, even by the weight of this straw. His remark upset the, the Christian clerics, but it certainly was something that was in nine with, the, uh, with, with what the Negus, uh, what, what the, uh, what the Negus believed. So this, uh, what you were mentioning earlier about the love of Jesus, mm-hmm. that this uh, shone through in what uh, the representative of Muslims was saying to the Christian king. And that uh, had a profound impact of the king, so much so that he began to weep, and so much so that he was, had no option but to allow the, the Muslims to, to stay and to reject the, the accusation that somehow they were uh, in insulting Jesus or their belief was in any way uh, uh, denigrating the, the person of Jesus. You know, it, uh, it's strange how things work. This story has always been at the, has always hit my heart. Uh-huh. I, and I've tried to remember that story, that narration, because it's really moving. Hmm. And uh, I was recently asked, you know, when Queen Elizabeth died, I was asked by the local council to do a reading at this memorial service in the church. And I narrated the story. And and I read those verses of the uh, from Surah Maryam in that church. Hmm. And when it all ended, Several people, including the high sheriff and some military people, came to me after. They said that was the best reading of the day. Really? <laughs> like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with me. Mm. <laughs> it's the impact of <laughs> it's those the, verses. Yeah. It's the impact of those verses, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that uh, that emphasis is still carrying mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So th- but you should still take credit for selecting that. <laughs> 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 that that I can th- uh, I should take give credit <coughs> to our khulafa. Yeah. for reminding us and for the promised Messiah mm, as mm, mm. for bringing this into our hearts. Yeah, no, very good. Right, <coughs> uh, we're coming to the last segment of our show, which is uh, <coughs> the sports review. Weekend World Sports Review uh, right, Walid. Uh, joining us this morning is Mr. Yusuf Walker. Yusuf is the legal lead for a multinational company in uh, based in the Middle East, and he says he's a Liverpool fan. Oh, I mean, we all, we, 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 we all have our faults. We know that. <laughs> and above all, but above all, he's a football fan and attended several games at the Qatar World Cup. I, I, I feel Yusuf found that quite humorous. Assalamu alaikum, uh, Yusuf. Jazakallah for joining us, and uh, we, we won't we won't put it against you for supporting Liverpool. They are a great team <laughs> after all. <laughs> Get better soon. <laughs> yes. Uh, 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 Yusuf, uh, you're you're based in the Middle East, and uh, the yeah. Middle East has come under severe criticism, particularly. The, by the European nations, and some of the biggest critics got knocked out very early, Belgium, Denmark, yeah. while England and Holland and soon, soon joined, and Germany, <laughs> yeah. and Germany yes, indeed. Um, yeah. <laughs> was that their uh, the comeuppance on, 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 uh, on having this negative stance and trying to put Qatar down? What, what, are, what are the supporters of football in Doha? What are they, how have they reacted to Qatar's World Cup? Uh, how has the World Cup been received by people on the ground? Well, I, I, I think I would start by saying, I mean, I was very fortunate to attend five games at the World Cup. 
Um, uh, and uh, my experience is that obviously one of the principles of Islam is that, uh, and taught to us by the Holy Prophet وسلم, is that you should always welcome your guests mm. and treat them you know, very, very well. And that certainly has been the case in Qatar. That what I what I have seen is that the country has turned itself, you know, for this tournament into a country of of guest welcomers in a, in essence, um, and really done gone above and beyond and done everything to make sure that the guest experience is wonderful, and uh, that everything from transportation to uh, accommodation to um, the attendance at the games themselves are as uh, comfortable as possible and and entertaining as possible and my experience has been that that has been the case and all of the people that I had managed to talk to when I was there and friends who I've talked to who visited mm. and what I've seen in the media as well is that by and large people who actually go have been to the World Cup speak extremely highly of the experience but it, from from many fronts including from a safety perspective so you know, you, you listen to people. I, I've only been to the, this one tournament, but yeah. you listen to people um, from many Western countries who've been to multiple tournaments, and they talk about this of of having been one of the best tournaments that they've ever been to. Mm. You listen to even uh, I've heard interviews of um, uh, ladies from 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 Western countries who have visited, and they talk about this of being one of the most safest tournaments that they've been to. Um, and I think principally because of some of the rules put in place to ensure safety of everybody, mm. um, including the banning of alcohol from the stadiums themselves. Um, you know, when you go to a football stadium with your family, you want it to be an experience of entertainment, of joy, of safety. Um, and all of the games I can say that I had the, you know, the, the, the privilege of going to, I never once heard any swearing. I never once heard any sort of antagonism it was of supporters against the other um and and there wasn't even for the most part separation of supporters you would mm. be sat with um you know different sets of supporters right next to each other and you know everybody was for the most part just enjoying the entertainment the game spurring on their team but not even if they lost we're not using it as a as an opportunity to basically um um, cause any kind of violence or antagonism against well, others. And one that of the, was really wonderful. Yeah, one of the newspapers actually commented on that, that uh, after England lost their, their game to France, there was no rioting and no fighting. Uh, and, and, they put it <laughs> down, yeah, and they put it out yeah. to no alcohol <laughs> available <laughs> on the pitches. So that, that definitely reflects on that. Uh, let's have a listen to some of the... Uh, uh, supporters who visited Qatar. Let's hear what they what they had to say about Qatar. People are criticizing the World Cup, but I am proud of Qatar. I am proud of the Arab world. You see, I grew up in a mayonnaise tone area, and they spew anti-Arab, anti-Muslim, anti-people of color racism all the time. Western media covered us in anti-Arab propaganda, and now finally people are getting to experience the beautiful Arabic culture, the beautiful Qatari culture, and they're completely seeing through the Western media's narrative, the Western media's propaganda. People are enjoying the food, the culture, wearing Qatari traditional clothing, and really seeing the beautiful country of Qatar. I am so happy. That resonates very much to what you were saying, uh, Yusuf. From yeah. an, this is from yeah. an American uh, lady who who was who was in Qatar. Yeah, very very much so. Um, there's even there's a lot of videos 
even beyond the stadiums, there are videos um, being posted of Qatari families coming out into the streets uh, and outside the stadiums and welcoming people with with traditional cakes and uh, coffee and tea. Um, even there are there are stories of. I remember listening to a couple of guys saying that they actually were without accommodation one evening and a Qatari family again said, come and stay with us. I mean, to that extent. So really, uh, um, I think the, um, you know, that's not to say that, that that countries don't have their problems. Every country in the world Indeed. has its problems. Indeed. Um, but but I think the the sort of double standard of the the level of criticism of this World Cup versus on many issues versus the lack of criticism of of other World Cup holders in the past, I think that's where you know, that's what takes people aback to sort of say, where's the consistency? And where you see this inconsistency, then you start to think, then you start to think as to why that inconsistency is there. So you know, I've got nothing but but very good good things to say about the World Cup from my experience. Um, and does Qatar have things that it needs to improve upon? Yes, but then does the UK? Does America? Does you know, every country in the world, I think, has things that it needs to improve, um, uh, and and uh, I'm sure it will take that that forward. Um, but in terms of an experience, really, really fantastic, and I can't, can't speak highly enough. Uh, I, I know Leeds has got a question to ask. Yeah, um, uh, you sh- um, I was going to ask, uh, why do you think there is this animosity in the media against uh, against Qatar in this respect, uh, even when? Gianni Infantino mentioned that this was perhaps the best World Cup ever. Um, commentators here were queuing up to, to reject that uh, that assessment and trying to point uh, to reasons why that was not the case. Um, it, it's probably it's probably a complicated. It's a very very excellent question, and it's probably a complicated answer, but. One of the one of the ways I might approach it is to say it's a general feel of the fear of the other. So, you know, people generally fear what what's different to them or what they don't know, and that includes when it comes to people of different races, of different cultures, and of different religions. Um, uh, this is the first World Cup that's ever been held, obviously, in in an Arab country, in a Muslim country, and I think there is that fear from a lot of the the um, the. Western countries and media of the other of the the change. The only way you break down that fear, and that's the that's the great thing about holding um, uh, this World Cup in, in a Muslim country. Um, that's why we as a Jamaat have you know lots of interfaith um, uh, conferences. Mm-hmm. That's why we do a lot of work with others because when they get to know the real Islam, when they get to know the real culture of Islam behind you know behind Islam and the people, the followers of Islam, Muslims. Then they start to see that actually there isn't that much difference between you know our culture and their culture, our religion and their religion. You know, by and large, these are good people who follow a you know who follow a great religion. Um, and um, once once you break down those barriers and you start to see the other for what they really are, I think that's when um, you know perceptions start to change. Um, you know, so unfortunately. There, there is a lot of negative perception of the Middle East and of, you know, of Arab culture and of Islam. Mm. And I think it's only through such um, experiences of allowing people to come in and see that uh, you start to change those negative perceptions sure. and, and get the truth out there. Yeah. And I think that's that's why, for me, one of the great spin-offs of having this World Cup is that, you know, not only the the 
hundreds of thousands, I don't know the number, but maybe the hundreds of thousands or millions of visitors to Qatar, but also the people watching around the world will see a different story to what their perception is and hopefully that will start to change sure. people's, people's beliefs for the better. Yeah, well, just to counter what you were saying, mm. that a lot of people tried to attack Qatar, many came in defense of it as well. This is David Dean speaking uh, to Piers Morgan. Uh, David Dean is the ex-owner of uh, Arsenal Football Club. Mm. So, how many World Cups have you been to? World Cups, I've been... I, the first one was 1966 at Wembley, when That's we a, won it. I was one. Yes. So, you so went I've to that been, one? I've been to 15 since then, missing out one in 1982 in Spain. Otherwise, so you've been I've seen to everyone. 15 World Cups. Uh, and peers out of all of them, this has to rank right at the top. This is as good, if not better, than really? any other. It is Funny been, enough, I saw Graham Sooners this morning. He said the same thing. Best it, been it's to. been phenomenal. The whole organisation of it. You know, people are quick to criticise and slow to praise. Qatar deserve a lot of praise for the way they put it on. Last night we went to the game at the... It appears that having the World Cup at one <laughs> venue um, certainly uh, is a plus and something people will consider in the future. And, and I'm sure it could save money as well. Um, Yusuf, uh, thank you for sharing those views. What about the football now? Um, you, you've been to five matches, as you say. Um, yeah. The biggest surprise, certainly Morocco, and deservedly reaching yeah. the semi-final, would you say? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, well, a lot of teams such as Morocco, people expect <laughs> that they will just turn up and just make up the numbers. But the, the surprising thing or the shocking thing is that they actually have a really good team mm. with world-class players throughout the team. Yes. and. You know they deserve to be genuinely deserve to be in the semi-final um, for what they uh, for what they have have done, um, and it's good it's good for the World Cup. I mean, people like to see people like to see the underdog or so-called underdog, you know, come come and surprise people and do great things. Um, I think that's good. The the quality of football generally, I think, has been been very good. Um, I mean, the only disappointing thing for me is that England lost in the quarterfinals. Um, I mean, it would have been great to see them go all the way. But, uh, you know, one thing I've also realised in life when it comes to football is you need a bit of luck as well. <laughs> but England, you know, beat the team that they were expected to beat and lost to the team they were expected to lose to. So it appears yeah. that they were always going to struggle to get past the quarterfinals. But the two teams in the final, Argentina, France, is this an Argentina versus France game or a Beppe versus Messi game? Oh, uh, <laughs> I think it's going to be Argentina versus France. Okay. Um, obviously, they're, they're, those are two world-class players, and uh, whichever team wins. To be honest, I'm not really me personally. I'm not supporting one particular mm. team in the final. I think it, hopefully we just we see a great game. It's not sort of a nil-nil draw and <laughs> and goes to penalties. I think if we can see a, a well-scoring, you know, good attacking game, that would be fantastic. How many times have we said, as Jurgen Klingsmann said yesterday, that the best team didn't make it to the final, i.e. Brazil? Uh, mm. It's always disappointing to see Brazil get knocked out. And this year, I thought they were as good as the 1982 team that didn't mm. make it to the final. Mm. Uh, yeah, it was definitely um, a surprise that they uh, didn't even get to the semifinals. I mm. think you'd for sure you would have seen them a lot of a lot of people had them tipped to be the winners um but it i think it just it just shows that look there are a lot of good a lot of good teams in this tournament and just because you are a brazil or an argentina or a portugal or a spain you you know don't take that for granted you actually 
you know you, you actually have to play really good football get you know make it all the way through and um i think croatia were deserved winners against brazil and they also have have a have a great team um yeah it's uh, it but it was it was still a surprise not to see them get Get even to the semi-final. Hmm. Um, uh, our last question, I think, is uh, uh, who do you think uh, is going to win today? Then, um, I think my uh, I, I, I said I don't have a favorite, but there's a slight there's a slight thing that's point pushing me towards Argentina because Mr. Messi, and it would be great mm. to see him seal his legacy. Mm. Um, but if I'm thinking with my brain, I probably would lean towards France. Oh, got such a good team. And if Argentina win it, is Messi better than Maradona? <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely those people who are Messi supporters will say that. Yes. Yusuf sure. <laughs> yeah. Walker, thank you very much for joining us uh, and sharing thank your views you. and uh, well done for attending all those matches. Uh, right, Willie, thanks uh, to all our listeners, Rabbi Berger, uh, Ibrahim Noonan and uh, Imam Ibrahim Noonan and Rabbi Jeff Berger. And Azalemdi for joining us and to our listeners for tuning in to the Voice Weekend World Show. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.